BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. One, why is Nikki Haley still running for president? Is it because of A, money? donors, consultants? Is it B, raising her profile for 2028? Is it C, as an insurance policy for a black swan event against Donald Trump in 2024? Or is it D, she's ready to hop third party. She's ready to take up the label of no labels. Two, don't we already have a central bank digital currency and the horrible border policy that's led to the death of a college student in Georgia with friend of the Will Kane show, Jeffrey Tucker. And three, am I college football colorblind? Can I tell the difference between maroon, cardinal, and garnet? A quiz on whether or not I can get the official colors across college football. It is the Will Kane show streaming live at foxnews.com and on the Fox News YouTube channel every day at 12 o'clock Eastern time, streaming at Facebook at the Fox News Channel. And then always available on demand wherever you get your audio entertainment at Apple, Spotify, or at Fox News Podcast. And available for subscription on YouTube at Will Cain Show. I just got back from Columbia, South Carolina, and I took a bigger loss than Nikki Haley. I said what I said. Fried catfish, some hush puppies, a little tartar sauce and some hot sauce, beets, Fried chicken. I said what I said. And I am taking a bigger loss than Nikki Haley. Let's get into that debate and why Nikki Haley is still running for president with story number one. Nikki Haley lost the South Carolina Republican primary to Donald Trump by roughly 20 points, 59 to 39. It is her home state of South Carolina, where she was once the governor, where she's been described as one of South Carolina's favorite daughters. And she took a historic loss in South Carolina. Historic in that uh, no non-incumbent running for president has swept early primary states the way it's been done now by Donald Trump. Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Donald Trump has run a clean sweep. What more, we're looking at historic numbers of turnout. Donald Trump just gathered the largest number of Republican votes in a primary in the history of South Carolina. What more, in still historic proportions, no one, as far as we can tell in modern political history, has stuck around and continued to run for president despite racking up losses like Nikki Haley. Getting 40% of the vote in her home state, where once again she was once governor, South Carolina, has been painted as some as a small Pyrrhic victory for Nikki Haley. Carl Rove was on the Fox News channel that night offering voter analysis and said this reflects a party divided. I respectfully but strongly disagree. At this point, any other conclusion than the Republican Party belongs to Donald Trump is simply spin. South Carolina is the exclamation point on the idea, on the reality that right now the Republican Party is Donald Trump. A 20-point loss in your home state where you were once governor can in no way be spun as a victory for Nikki Haley, which leads to the question of why. Why is it that Nikki Haley continues to run for president? People look inside the numbers, I think either lying to themselves or lying to the public about what's actually happening. People have suggested, Nikki Haley has suggested, for one, that people want a choice, that this is not a Soviet-style election with only one choice. What is glossed over there is that people have made their choice over and over. There's nothing Soviet about losing in a constitutional republic 
at the voter booth with the will of the people having spoken against Nikki Haley. Secondarily, Nikki Haley has said that she is the political outsider set against the Republican establishment that wants her to leave the race for president. I don't know in what world I haven't had that explained to me in some way that makes sense how Nikki Haley is the political outsider while Donald Trump is the Republican establishment. And thirdly, although perhaps a little more granular, Nikki Haley has said that she is the candidate for the youth. She is tomorrow. And Donald Trump with his age, like Joe Biden with his frailty, represents yesterday. Well, youth vote in South Carolina looks like the following. The strongest turnout for Donald Trump was in the age of 17 to 29. Although it only makes up 6% of the electorate, Donald Trump got 71% of the vote, according to exit polls, among voters age 17 to 29. There's no spin. There's no lie. There is no narrative that you can set that leads you to any other conclusion But the South Carolina is an exclamation point on the fact that the Republican Party belongs to Donald Trump. Now, I have friends, many friends, who will hear that statement and consider that advocacy. And I find myself continually surprised at the idea that an accurate depiction of reality is somehow internalized as pom-poms and cheerleading. You cannot. Say you are someone opposed to Donald Trump. Accurately, you cannot actively change reality if you cannot accurately describe reality. And there is no reality where Nikki Haley represents Republicans. That doesn't mean there aren't some people out there that would vote for Nikki Haley. She won the counties around Charleston and Columbia, more urban, college centric, educated, more well off counties in South Carolina. And I know many people who would tell me they simply can't vote for Donald Trump, that they are for Nikki Haley. But Nikki Haley is a blank slate. She is Joe Biden. I don't mean that ideologically, although I think they share some similarities, most notably when it comes to um, measuring the cultural winds of the moment and bending to what is the path of least resistance, what will get you the least amount of scorn, even if it costs you the truth. I think she also shares some similarities with Joe Biden in her willingness to engage in military adventurism, seeing the United States' role in the world as the global police. But what I mean by Nikki Haley as a comparison to Joe Biden is that she doesn't represent anything other than a response to Donald Trump. If you ask most people on the left, do they like Joe Biden, you probably don't have to wait but one or two sentences until they bring up the name Donald Trump. If you ask most people why they like Nikki Haley, you probably only need to wait one or two sentences until they once again bring up the name of Donald Trump. Everything in American politics is as much as we would like to make it about ideology and much as we would like to make it complex is simple and comes down to two words for the better part of almost a decade, but easily eight years. American politics has been Donald Trump. And those that vote for Nikki Haley are doing so for the same reason that the left votes for Joe Biden, as a response to Donald Trump. But it's not enough. It's not enough to shine a light on a path to victory for Nikki Haley. So then why is she running for president? Why is she still running for president? I'm going to offer you four reasons from least likely to most likely on why Nikki Haley is still running for president. Number one, it's about money. Nikki Haley has the strong support of the donor class. She has all the money she needs to stick around. And the donor class doesn't seem to be flowing away from Nikki Haley despite racking up losses in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. She's got consultants around her getting paid. She has got the infrastructure to continue to tell her that there's a path to the presidency, to hang around the hoop, to see what happens, grab a rebound. You've got the money, and there's many with a vested interest. This is the opinion of my Fox & Friends co-host, Rachel Campos Duffy. By the way, as an aside, as a quick parenthetical, I mentioned that the only person that took a bigger loss in South Carolina than Nikki Haley was Will Kane. Because along with my Fox & Friends co-host Rachel Campos-Duffy and Pete Hegseth, I entered into unpopular waters. I did so knowingly. 
but I feel firmly grounded in the truth. I said the following on Fox and Friends. I'm gonna say something no, controversial like before we go. Sure. Huh? Fried fish over fried chicken. Oh my God. Oh, I that wouldn't is, say that. It's the most, I dare you to go. Fried catfish? Walk out this building and say that. Fried chicken. <clears throat> that is a joke. I think, I'm, I think some of America out there is going, you know what, Will's right. No, you should resign. Tartar sauce, hot sauce. Over Catfish fried chicken? With some hush puppies. Please, let Will know. Uh, what's your Twitter handle, Will? I have taken a less popular position. However, I bet you I'm polling at a good 35%. You're polling at Nikki Haley levels. <laughs> <laughs> That'll go great for you. I said what I said. Fried catfish over fried chicken. Let's check in on the results. Two days, there's been a poll put out on both Instagram and on Twitter. Did I take a bigger loss than Nikki Haley. So you're close. If you look here at your screen, fried fish took 33% of the poll. Fried chicken took 67%. So you're right around what you're talking about. Well, that's a bigger loss than Nikki Haley. That's a 34-point loss for me. Her loss was roughly 20. Well, I have an argument, but let me hear from the people today. What are they saying about why it's fried catfish over, or fried chicken over fried catfish? Well, this person is just like, Will, what are you smoking? Like, you, this so wrong. <laughs> no, fried chicken. Strong argument. And then you can read this one G, here if you want to. G. Vartuli says, I love fish so much more than chicken, so fried fish any day over fried chicken. Well, some support amongst the people. TJ Rhodes says, fried catfish over fried chicken and fried chicken over all other fried fish. TJ Rhodes is onto something. And... I know that this is a take that was incredibly unpopular when it comes to polling, but I found some support in the comments from people like Missy. Will is right. It's a Texas thing. But I do find myself surrounded on this show by people like Tinfoil Pat and young establishment James Laverty and from the Northeast, two-a-days. And my suspicion is you're going to all cast your vote with the masses, that you're going to ride the popular wave, that you are all fried chicken. Quickly, let me get the votes on the show. Tinfoil Pat, well, can you make a vote technologically today here on The Will Cain Show? Pat is off writing other conspiracies right now, but I think <laughs> we don't have him on the horn right now. I think he's like in his den kind of writing out new things. But I, I wouldn't guess. I'll, I'll go first for myself. I'm, I'm with you on this. I'm fried fish all the way. To be honest, I'm a Northeaster. You know, I'm from New England. So, yeah, fried fish. All right. There's one James. vote for Will. Young establishment, James. I don't have too much of a say since I have the same salmon, uh, chicken, steak every day for lunch and dinner. Maybe a tuna wrap. So kind of kind of split. I'd rather probably have a Popeye's fried chicken sandwich than really anything. But I think the the more pressing topic was that that the distraction of the uh, the two buttons down on live TV kind of kind of distracted me away from the argument <laughs> itself. Wow, <laughs> called you out. Two buttons down, but Burt Reynolds had not really made an appearance. I don't think my chest hair was starring on Fox and Friends, but I was two buttons down, and I had a debate before we took to the air: should I risk Burt Reynolds? Or should I risk door-to-door Bible salesman? Because my shirt has, like many men's shirts, the second button in the awkward spot. Do I want to appear as though I'm trying to make Fox and Friends sexy? Or do I want to appear as though I'm knocking on your door and asking, hey, has anyone spoken to you recently about Jesus? So I didn't know which way to go, and I did go two buttons down. Also don't know which way that would poll. I know that Tinfoil Pat is somewhere on a whiteboard with lines going everywhere to make an, a very passionate argument that I am wrong and that it is fried chicken. Quickly, that my argument before we return to Nikki Haley is as follows. Most people haven't had good fried catfish, understandably. You don't like walk around in a big city with a great amount of options for fried catfish. I happen to like cornmeal. I happen to be from a rural area of Texas. I happen to grow up around Lake Texoma. And when you get tied into a place that knows how to do catfish, it simply beats. And I've had some of the best fried chicken. I'm telling you right now, I've had sweet tea brined fried chicken. I'm telling you, that's amazing fried chicken. But I will order anytime an opportunity exists or somebody says, would you rather go to Huck's Catfish or would you rather go to Babe's Chicken? I will choose fried catfish over fried chicken. But I fully understand that I've taken a loss bigger than Nikki Haley. Which leads us back to why is she running for president? I offer you reason number two. 
that she's attempting to raise her profile for 2028. You know, many people wondered during the Republican presidential primary what was in it for Vivek Ramaswamy. Why was Vivek Ramaswamy running for president? One of the things that you can learn from his race for presidency is he can change the dialogue. He can change the conversation. He probably never had a real opportunity to win the nomination, but he did raise the name profile of Vivek Ramaswamy when it comes to Republicans. Nikki Haley has stuck around long enough that she is constantly in the news cycle. Her name recognition, her Q rating have increased. Now, there are people that will say, yeah, but she's taken on some negatives among the Republican base. She'll be thought of negatively as constantly painting herself as an alternative to Donald Trump. And if her rhetoric continues to get more combative, her negatives will only rise. I happen to think that memories are short. I don't know that that will last through 2028. And she has some strategic upside to keep her name in the conversation that she has by prospect of losing, maybe increased her opportunity in 2028. But I don't think that's why she's still running for president. That takes us to 2024. Last week here on The Will Cain Show, Bill Hemmer joined us. We had a conversation about a conversation he had with Nikki Haley on America's Newsroom. Bill Hemmer asked her if she's attempting to be an insurance policy against something happening with Donald Trump. What that something may be who knows? Right now, or at least for the past several months, the the supposition has been that it will be something in a courtroom. One of these indictments, that has not turned out to be the case, one of these cases that turns into a conviction changes the equation for president. But it's getting harder to see, first of all, how anything derails Donald Trump. Certainly an indictment didn't do so. His poll numbers go up. What would happen with a conviction? Do we have any evidence to believe, at least among the Republican base in a primary, that anything else would happen but to see his numbers go up? There's other potential black swan events. That was described by Byron York on Fox and Friends, a Fox News contributor and columnist at the Washington Examiner. Byron York said, who knows? It could be anything. That's what a black swan event is, something unforeseeable. People have talked about, how is it that with so many... First of all, opposed to Donald Trump, so much in the infrastructure of the United States political system, not just positioned against Donald Trump, but throwing everything they've got at him and a anti-Trump base lathered up into a froth, how something hasn't happened to Donald Trump or attempted to take him out. Yes, physically, assassination from a race for president. He's also 77, so you could be saying, well, what about his own health trouble? Could something come up? Whatever it may be is Nikki Haley positioning him herself for, as an insurance policy, hang around the hoop, see what you get, see what kind of rebound comes your way. However, even if something happens, I don't see the Republican base. While memories are short when it comes to 2028, memories are crystallized when it comes to 2024. I don't see any scenario where the Republican base or Donald Trump sits there at a convention, unable to run for president, says, we now must all rally behind Nikki Haley. I think they would find another name for 2024. Which leads me to the fourth option, and the one that I find the most likely. Nikki Haley has said she will stick around through at least Super Tuesday. This weekend, I had on Fox and Friends the chair of No Labels. His name is Joe Cunningham. He's a former Democratic congressman from South Carolina. And Joe Cunningham said the following when I asked him about Nikki Haley. Uh, there's been conversation, there's been speculation about Nikki Haley as a potential No Labels candidate. There's also a lot of talk about Joe Manchin, Mitt Romney. Who will be your candidate on the No Labels ticket? <laughs> well, I mean, the truth is we're talking to a lot of spectacular people right now, and we're not ready to unveil those folks just yet. Uh, this has been a project uh, to essentially give Americans another choice if they're unhappy with the presumptive nominees, which, you know, it appears it's going to be Trump versus Biden right now. But we don't know. Nikki Haley, she's going to remain in the race. You can't count her out completely. Uh, and hats off to her for staying in it and for sticking with it. But we're looking for great quality people, folks that have broad appeal to independents, Democrats, Republicans. And, um, and yeah, I mean, Nikki Haley is somebody we, we'd definitely be interested in. 
Nikki Haley is definitely someone we'd be interested in at No Labels. This, to me, is the story of 2024. Joe Manchin said he will not run for president. Would Nikki Haley as a third party? This could swing a presidential election. This could be Ross Perot of the 1990s. If it's somebody like Joe Manchin, if it's a Democrat, it could rob the presidency or swing the presidency in the favor of Donald Trump. And Democrats know that. That's why, and I discussed that with Joe Cunningham, No Labels has been threatened by Democrats with investigations, with the potentiality of the DOJ. I want to have a deeper conversation here on The Will Cain Show, perhaps later this week, with Joe Cunningham about No Labels. But if that candidate is somebody like Nikki Haley, that could swing the presidential election in the favor of Joe Biden. To me, as I add up why she's still running for president, this makes the most sense, that she switches sometime after Super Tuesday to No Labels. That is my best guess at why Nikki Haley is still running for president. Do we not already have a central bank digital currency? And what do we do with the border policy that has resulted in a policy? Definitely a policy has resulted in the murder of a young student at the University of Georgia. That's coming up in just a moment with Jeffrey Tucker here on The Will Cain Show. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the deal. It go down. It go down in the deal. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Do we not already have a central bank digital currency? And the horrific story out of the University of Georgia where a young woman is murdered by what appears to be an illegal immigrant. That's coming up just now here on The Will Cain Show with story number two. Joining us now is Jeffrey Tucker. He's the president of the Brownstone Institute. You can follow him at Jeffrey A. Tucker on X. He's a friend of the show here on The Will Cain Show. We're glad to have him once again. What's up, Jeffrey? Uh, well, terrible things as always. <laughs> terrible things. We got to be optimists, no. but we will work through some negativity here best that yeah. we can. I am interested well, in hearing your perspective on what happened in Georgia. Um, you know, for the details, young nursing student at the University of Georgia, 22 years old, goes for a run around the campus. She runs around a reservoir that's on campus. From what we know, she's attacked. Um, by what appears to be an illegal immigrant, what I say appears to be because there was some question about confirming his status, and I think most of that is caught up in semantics or policy gray areas of whether or not he's claimed asylum, but it's uh, that, per- that process has been perverted and corrupted and distorted beyond recognition, so it's, in my mind, somewhat semantic. But um, she's murdered. Uh, and we had former directors of the uh, Customs and Border Patrol of Homeland Security on this weekend talking about there was at least three different opportunities, Jeffrey, where this could have been stopped. He, he could have been denied entry at the point of entry, um, kept him in Mexico. He could have been kept in detention in Texas where he was released because of overcrowding. And he was arrested in New York at one point for an alleged crime. He wasn't ultimately charged, but he he came into contact with the system at least three times and still remained free, free to commit crime in the United States. You're a 
Uh, libertarian, I believe, is a fair description, Jeffrey. There is a debate within paleo-populist libertarians about immigration and illegal immigration. I'm curious your thoughts on what happened in Georgia. The, uh, the What's happening right now should not be called immigration any more than the COVID uh, response should be called public health. You know, we've got something completely different operating in this country. This is maybe goes best by the name anarcho-tyranny, which is to say no law enforcement for some and extreme law enforcement for others. Uh, the immigration system has been wildly abused over the last uh, several years, really, uh, as to become like an agent of, of chaos. This is not immigration traditionally understood, as we've always favored and liked uh, for our entire history of, of this country. This is something else that's using demographics to manipulate political outcomes and introduce chaos. I've come to this conclusion very reluctantly because I've always been a big champion of, of immigration, obviously, and I, I still am. But the strange thing is that legal immigration has never been more difficult and illegal immigration has never been uh, easier. And these, these two realities are happening at the same time. And, you know, the crime problem is, is an extension of this. You brought up demographic issues. Uh, you know, on the left, it's often dismissed as, oh, are you going into the conspiracy of the great replacement theory? On the right, anecdotally, um, when I speak to some of my friends who are not as politically um, plugged in, they wonder, how does this mechanically swing elections? Of course, we know that the census is not yeah. uh, does not limit itself to citizens, but it it, it counts total headcount. That would benefit anywhere there is an illegal headcount in the United States, but that would seem to benefit not just places like New York, it would pl benefit places like Texas. So what is the electoral play, if that's a motivation on the left, for allowing this unfettered illegal immigration? Well, you know, part of, part of it, I think, is, is, is just, as I mentioned, it's a, it's, it's a policy of chaos and, and how it's going to be used in the, in the future, we don't entirely know. But uh, as we know, what, what happened after the COVID response, the lockdowns were really an important factor here. We saw a mass exodus from blue states to red, which would increase the electoral power of the red states and and deny uh, the ruling class the electoral majority they would need to secure their reign forever. So allowing this, this vast immigration, you know, it does uh, introduce the possibility of manipulating census outcomes that also... And Elon Musk proved this, and I was shocked by it. Uh, there, there is a, a greater degree of liberality in the voting system to enable people to vote in elections, in state elections, local elections, and even federal elections under some conditions. So it, while it might be technically true that you have to be a citizen to vote, it's a question of what is the standard you're going to be using for that? Like, how do you demonstrate that, especially on absentee uh, ballots? So if you can manipulate that, you know, the standard by which you, you judge whether somebody is or is not a, a legal voter, then you can introduce potentially millions of people into the voter rolls that other actually don't belong there. So, you know, it, the devil's in the details of these kinds of cases. So I mentioned that you're a libertarian. I don't know. Libertarians love to divide themselves based upon philosophical preferences into so many different microcosms, uh, tribalism within libertarianism, paleo, populist, anarcho. I, I don't know your particular brand of politics, Jeffrey, which you can tell us. But um, I want to say something. I want to describe for you something that I think for some odd reason has become controversial, but to me is simply his, uh, historically consistent. In my mind, immigration policy should work with the following priorities. Closed borders, controlled immigration status, no illegal immigration, obviously at the, at the mercy of the ability for enforcement, but no illegal immigration and a, a very strong deportation state uh, should you be caught as an illegal immigrant. Secondarily, legal immigration should be a process that factors in skill, merit, contribution to society, and the preservation of American culture. That is the controversial part that somehow I think is historically just grounded in fact. The, the founders and then subsequent implementation of immigration policy in, in the United States always thought about assimilation, mm -hmm. sure. always thought about bringing people in their ability to assimilate and in numbers that allowed them to assimilate 
into right. what is now also a controversial thing to say, a greater culture of the United States of America. Sure. That would be a sane immigration policy, in my mind. How would you structure immigration? Mm, so what you just said, Will, just sounds like good uh, common sense, regardless of ideology. I think what you said is, 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 is absolutely true. And I look, I have to admit my own naivety about this in the past. I was a little bit of, you know, of a open the borders kind of person. But but I, I've learned uh, that this is, you know, potentially very invasive of the rights and liberties of Americans, which, you know, we do have a government, we do have borders, and and their purpose is really to maximize the rights and liberties of of, of this the citizenry of that political commonwealth. This is, it should not be controversial. And American immigration policy has always been about that. You know, there's a great liberal policy in the 1880s, and that was tightened in 1923 in ways I, I don't think was was good. It was loosened again and, uh, in 1968 in ways that I, I, I think is kind of discriminatory. But anyway, as you say, there's, there's always been the issue of, of how do you allow maximum uh, immigration and within the context of integrating yourself into our political community in ways that are not disturbing of of the aspirations of the Commonwealth? I mean, this this and, and there are various ways you can apply that. Um, and there have been various ways in which that's been applied. But the way you don't the the the, the worst possible case for applying this is to. Make it almost impossible to to immigrate legally, which is it's much more difficult now than it used to be. At the same time, you just open the floodgates for for this invasive force, you know, with millions and millions and millions of people pouring in, getting on welfare, living in you know high end hotels in New York City like we have today. That, this is a policy designed for maximum civilization disturbance, maximum political upheaval, and the introduction of chaos. And I tell you this, Will, um, you know, the great thinker F.A. Hayek, right, for whom I think you have some affection, warned against this very policy. In the 1970s, he was asked about this sort of uh, huge increase of Islamic immigration to the UK. And he said, well, while I'm in favor of of immigration, I think you know the human being is an asset. Uh, you don't. You, you have to be careful not to 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 introduce too many profound disturbances to the political yes. community that can cause a, a, a grotesque uh, reaction that can lead to authoritarianism and and cause people to uh, throw away essential rights and liberties in favor of doing something about what's perceived to be an invasion of an alien a mass alien force. And so he wrote this. In a letter, and I, that's what, when I read that letter, it began to, this was like about maybe, say, 10 years ago, I read this letter, and it made me stop and think, you know, I mean, I don't think anybody would accuse Hayek of not caring about about uh, liberty, right? But even he was warning that this can actually be profoundly disturbing to a, a political commonwealth. And sure enough, here we are, we've gone through years of this very kind of thing in the United States, and, and it's going to permanently affect the demographics of our political community in this country. And, and oh, you know, I, I've, I've been very reluctant to come to this position, but, but a, a responsible thinker, libertarian or not, really has to think about the long-term implications of this, and they don't look good. Well, Hayek would be appalled at present day UK then. And and by the way, you, yeah. Jeffrey, so there are many of my favorite things about you. You're a man of contradictions. You, your patrician accent, you're certainly well-learned and well-read and your bow tie, and yet you're dipping skull at the same time. But my favorite thing about you is that you, uh, is your humility. I really, I really mean it. I love that. I'm learning. I'm changing. It's my favorite thing about you, Jeffrey Tucker. Um, you know, so I want, I want to move to this. Well, first of all, this will serve as a transition. This story is being reported on the mainstream media without, with leaving the details out that this man was, you know, most likely an illegal immigrant. Sure. Um, and, and I mean, on one hand, why are we surprised? And to, to the to the moment that we're broadcasting right now, I don't think Joe Biden has made a statement about it. He may have. I, I, I want to have some humility about whether I missed it. But I mean, like, if this were a crime that fit, you know, as an anecdote into a policy that he wanted to champion, he would have been there immediately. A gun crime, a race crime, whatever it may be, it's, it's been 72 hours. We would have. And, and this is a crime tied to a policy. 
and we'd hear nothing, which just tells you everything you need to know about priorities and importance and, and reveals, I think, to some extent, the underlying policy. But back to the media um, and how they're reporting it, I want to transition to the column you wrote where I do think this is fascinating. You wrote about Google. We've all been talking about Google's AI and how it's just turned reality into a woke reality, history into a woke history. And you talk about when they launched, their motto was do no evil, which if that were the end of the story, I agree with you, that would be like super weird. Like, why are you saying your motto is do no evil? I wasn't thinking about evil. So why are you telling me that your motto is do no evil? But what's even making it more weird is, as you wrote, in 2015, when they changed to alphabet, they dropped the motto do no evil. So that's really weird as well. So, oh, if you were saying it before, but you're not saying it now, what are you saying? <laughs> You know, it's the strangest thing. I remember. Uh, I remember those days when Google came along, and and that was their slogan. I remember thinking at the time that that's a strange thing for a company to say. And I wrote in my article that if a donut shop opened down the street with the slogan "We won't poison you," you know, that would already uh, uh, you know raise some <laughs> some some questions. I don't well, think I didn't want to go to that donut really shop. Understand this for a very long time, but Google was in fact established with a, a grant from the Defense Department or, or DARPA while these yes. guys were at Stanford University, and it's been up to no good for a very long time. And my friend Jay Bhattacharya wrote the other day on on X. He said, "You know, I'm not sure when I exactly lost trust in Google's search engine, but it might have been around say 2017 or so." And that was about the time that I began to lose trust in it, too. But the last two weeks have been so enormously interesting with the announcement of Gemini, you know, their great AI program, and users went after it and started trying to generate images of founding fathers and Vikings and this kind of stuff and could not come up, could not get, get Gemini to, 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 to draw a picture of a white person. It was very strange. And since that time, it's just been one scandal after another. This AI program is, it's it, it's 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 generating crazy results, smearing you know conservatives with fake bad book reviews of their books and tra trashing Republicans and extolling the glories of Democrats. So the bias you got doesn't quite describe it. But what's interesting about this is that it 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 seems like, you know, the the their artificial intelligence engine is so bad. But here's here's the key. It's not an anomaly. So right. what yeah, what we're learning from their AI system is the truth about the algorithms behind Google itself. So it's it's kind of revealed the full truth about Google. This is very disturbing because Google actually has ninety six percent of the search market, which is just a near monopoly on search, which means that everything that everybody's using it for is 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 wildly distorted. I mean, I, I run Brownstone Institute, which is now I, not not even quite three years old. I look at, at the way Google works, and I'm just amazed that we get any web traffic at all. I mean, it's so biased and so designed to manipulate the public mind, you know, at the behest, probably, of some very powerful people in government, they're working very closely together. I mean, I'm so sorry to report this because I, you know, I went for years thinking that Google was a, like a scrappy, wonderful, libertarian-oriented tech company. You know, everybody just in favor of free information for everybody and free speech. That turns out not to be true, and that's generally not true of vast portions of big tech and vast portions of 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 the mainstream corporate media. Today, both are involved in this kind of blob-style uh, censorship program designed to manipulate cultural and political outcomes. It's so strange, Will, for, for me to hear myself say this, because I could tell you, I never, if somebody had said those words to me four years ago, I would have said, oh, you're one of those weird uh, conspiracy theorists. I don't think that way. I don't believe what you just said. And here I am saying that very same thing. But, you know, the evidence is nowadays overwhelming that I have lost trust in so many of the institutions that I I once believed in and 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 not be not because I've been converted to a new you know politics is because I've looked at the evidence the evidence is overwhelming you know our innocence is lost these days you're exactly right which I don't I don't think and I don't think as many people as as should have 
treated this AI philosophical programming revelation as the revelation it is into the rest of Google. This isn't just yep. about images. This is about the search that we all use yep. and the results yep. that we're getting, which help us understand reality. That same ideology is going to be right there in the algorithm of your search on Google. Absolutely uh, that, that's right, and Jeffrey. and people have their their cell phones, which is like you know their best friend in a way. They never you know never leaves their pocket or their purse, but but both you know the Samsung and the iPhone are both set uh, to default to Google Search, which is a kind of setting that Google paid tens of billions of dollars to get from both these companies. And how many people? I mean, really, realistically, how many people know to go to their their preferences and their properties on the on the uh, browser that they're using on their on their smartphones and change it to something mm -hmm. else. I mean, I, I, it's got to be less less than fewer than one percent of users would even think to do that. So this is you know, sort of wired into our lives, and people are just unaware of the extent of the manipulation of the way we think about reality. It's it's a very serious matter. And, and one of the things that always made us feel better, made me feel better, I don't know about you in the past when it comes to tech, is the idea that before Facebook, there was MySpace. You know, before Google, there was Yahoo. And what that made us believe is that the kid in his garage could disrupt the gigantic behemoth that perhaps has gotten corrupted. Right. But I'm not sure we can have faith in that future anymore. I don't know that there is a kid in the garage that can take down Facebook, that can take yeah. down Google. Not because we've lost genius, but because we've lost an even playing field. Uh, well, you said it very well. And thank you for, for saying that. I hadn't quite thought of it that way but you're exactly right we we came of age in the in a digital world where we thought it had even the playing field anybody with a good innovation could disrupt anything else yeah myspace went away facebook came along we thought facebook was going away google came along and disrupted you know the prevailing search engines we thought something better was coming so we we were convinced of this process what we had not anticipated and which i don't think we fully realized is the extent to which the, all these companies have become sort of state protected monopolies that are, are so woven into the core of our lives they're going to be very difficult to disrupt and you know the patent system is is now uh, created a, a sort of uh, a thicket a legal thicket for any disruptor that comes along the copyright systems and and also the extent to which um, the deep state is woven into the fabric of their operations. You know, when Elon Musk took over Twitter, uh, he said, uh, well, he discovered that, that many people working there were, in fact, you know, sort of um, moonlighting with the FBI. <laughs> Believe it, he said at yeah. some point, I don't care what your conspiracy theory is about Twitter 1.0, it's worse than you think. Right. He said that <laughs> kind of, you know, yeah. <laughs> makes the imagination so go wild. But this is the reality. And, you know, the Supreme Court is going to be looking into this uh, within the, the coming weeks. I think the date is March 18th. They're going to start hearing oral arguments about this. Whether and to what extent government can use these third party uh, uh, institutions to manipulate the, the press, whether it's major media or social media or tech companies, to, in effect, not just censor, uh, uh, dissonant voices, but to push out, you know, a prevailing propaganda line that right. you know is loved by the CIA or FBI. So the the Supreme Court is going to have to deal with this, and and we're probably up to ten thousand pages worth of documents from Discovery showing that yeah, the problem is real, and the Supreme Court absolutely <laughs> needs to deal with it. We do have a First Amendment in this country, which is supposed to guarantee. That the, the 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 way we speak, the information we get, is not supposed to be so heavily manipulated by government agents to the point that you know we become like a Soviet-style system, and yet we're becoming that way. And the Supreme Court's going to weigh in on it. I I hope that they decide the right way because if that decision goes the other direction, this is very early stages. By the way, they're going to be looking into an injunction that was passed uh, by the Fifth Circuit. And if it doesn't go our way, it's going to give a free hand mm -hmm. to all these government agencies that have been you know, routinely manipulating uh, information outcomes and, and public propaganda now for years. It's going to give them a free hand right. to continue doing this. And at that point, I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to monitor the Supreme Court 
cases, which begin, some of them begin, by the way, this week That's true. Uh, here on the Will Cain Show. Um, so last thing I want to hit with you, Jeffrey. Um, so you, you mentioned Brownstone Institute. You guys have an article up about central bank digital currencies. This is the idea that we'll all move to sort of a cryptocurrency that is controlled by the government. And the fear, I believe, is that it's, it, it, it is a is a direct path to a social credit system, government control over our monetary system, but also then the implementation of social behaviors as a way, um, as, a, as an enforcement mechanism to get us to do what, what, what they consider to be virtuous or the right behavior. So I just want to run this by you. Um, COVID taught us that human beings are motivated by fear. Perhaps secondarily to fear, human beings are motivated by the path of least resistance. We run like water. And we will do, we will trade away, we as a group, as a herd, will trade away privacy for convenience. We've done it over and over. We do it every day. We give away privacy every day for an easier life. And I'm wondering if we haven't already done so when it comes to the CBDC. See, I believe something like 70% of in-store and obviously online transactions at this point are credit card driven, Jeffrey. Very few people. Cash has taken on a much diminished role in society. Um, Our bank accounts, it's not as though we have safety deposit boxes full of cash. Our bank accounts are ones and zeros. They're computerized. They're all in a system. And to believe that the government doesn't know where all my money is or could find out as quickly as they desire is extremely naive. All you have to do is watch a crime documentary. Local police can figure it out in about 24 hours, much less the FBI or higher levels of the Department of Justice. And I'm just wondering, like, we've already done this in the name of convenience. We've already all traded away, essentially, privacy and, and, and into digital currency. What's the difference? Like, when they come along and they issue a CBDC, how does it actually change anyone's life? Um I know what the dystopian vision of it is, but in the short term, everybody's going to react with, are we already kind of doing this anyway with mm. Apple Pay and my bank and my credit card? Yeah. Okay. What's important here, Will, is that you were describing a situation where they can observe what you choose to do. Uh, under a CBDC, what they can do is direct what you can do with your money. So the money, the money itself becomes programmable. So this this unit of currency can be used for food. This can be used for housing. And if you use your food budget for your housing budget, it can be cut off. Okay, so the money becomes programmable and directable. That's that's a different level of, of control. And, of course, you can be shut off, too. Or you can be shut off for some things and not other things. So you, you, you get a situation where the central masters can control how you use your your money. I mean... Here again, we're a little bit on this pathway right now with the tax system. You know, we have uh, health savings accounts that you can only use for certain purposes and other accounts you can only take out when you're 65 and that sort of thing. But this is very rudimentary. If you expand this to every element of your personal finances so that every aspect of your spending is directed, not just in terms of how you use the money, but when you use it too. So a certain amount of infusion of funds you get, you know, like you did during COVID, they dropped, you know, $4,000 into your bank account. If you can make that money expire by say the end of the year or the end of two years, uh, so that it becomes demonetized after a certain period of time, that's a different level of control. So it's not just what you use your money on, but when you can use it, that gives them full control over velocity of money, the rate at which mm-hmm. it, it it changes hands, which gives them new powers over monetary policy, and then and then what you're using the money on, so you can sort of redirect the path of inflation. That's going up in price. That's going down in price, based on the central central controls. It's absolutely dystopian, but it is possible now technologically to do this. Now, it's a question of how. Are they going to manage the transition to this? There's no question that this is the ambition, all right? So, and once again, this is another conspiracy theory that turns out to be true. If you'd told me five years ago that I would be on this podcast saying this kind of stuff, I would have said about the now me, that man's insane. But all the documents are there. We, the executive orders are in place. There's no question the ambition is there. The only question is what is the transition mechanism they're going to get 
from our current dollar system, which is, as you say, heavily compromised, but nothing like what they imagine is possible. And they have every ambition to do it. Whether they're going to get away with it is another question. One thing I do like is that, first of all, that you're, you're having me on this podcast and you're talking about it. It was never the intention to make this a, a, a point of public controversy. Ron DeSantis has been very vocal against it. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, because he read Aaron Day's book, which is a, who's a fellow of Brownstone, also talked to Trump, and Trump made a big statement against CBDCs too. So it was never supposed to be a point of public controversy. The goal was just to do this turnkey solution, and we all just kind of went along with it. But now the word is getting out, and it's become a point of controversy, which I think might slow them down just a bit. So part of me recognizes the step, and it would, in theory, be a large step between adoption of CBDC and then adoption of a policy of how to use CBDC to control behavior and spending. But the other part of me hears you, well, it's not a big step because they've already laid out their intentions and motivations. And then beyond that, logically, you'd say, when has the government ever granted themselves an ability or a power that they didn't ultimately avail themselves of? And you can even boil that down into more specific. When have they ever developed a weapon that wasn't eventually used? Every weapon is eventually used. So the adoptions from the adoption step isn't that far from controlling behavior step when it comes to CBDC. Yeah, and All right, Jeffrey Tucker, always great. Financial crisis or something, and they can move on this right away. Uh, the same thing with, yeah. with COVID, you know, uh, whether the crisis Emergency is real measure. or not, we know they can do it. Yeah. Unfortunately, it was Churchill that said, never let a great crisis go to waste. Jeffrey Tucker, um, thank you so much. Always love having you here on The Will Cain Show. Thank you so much, Will. All right, check him out on X at Jeffrey A. Tucker and check out the Brownstone Institute. He's awesome. All right, coming up, can I fail or succeed at a college football colorblind test? Can I tell the difference between maroon and cardinal and garnet? How about this? You can play along, and we'll set the over-under on how many I get right on a quiz of college football colors. Next on The Will Kitten Show. And my college football colorblind. It's the Will Cain Show, streaming live at foxnews.com and on the Fox News YouTube channel, the Fox News Facebook channel, always on demand at Apple, Spotify, or at Fox News Podcast. Hit subscribe and get the audio version right into your feed, wherever you get your audio entertainment. Go over to YouTube and grab Will Cain Show. Put it into your search bar. Find it. Hit subscribe. You'll get exclusive interviews. Soon we'll be putting up exclusive content. You get YouTube shorts right there for the Will Kane show. Last Friday on our sports exclusive podcast, Kane on Sports, my guest was Brandon Seiler, who played for the University of Florida, but he thought about going to USC. That would be the University of Southern California. And I said this about the colors at USC. We'll talk about it. it came down to Florida versus USC. And I describe USC's colors as maroon and gold. Ongoing debate here on the Will Kane Show. Why do I not understand the various shades of burgundy? I don't, and I don't care, and I don't apologize. I mean, how many sports fans out there know that Florida State is garnet and USC is cardinal, and the Texas A&M Aggies are maroon? I mean, it's all some shade of dark red. I, could you possibly, can you do that? Can you name the official, the official, official, colors of all these college programs we need to do that in the future let's do that let's like name a college program and you tell me with the right terminology the color of their uniforms so here we are let's do it today right here first of all before we do this and we find out whether or not i'm college football colorblind what's the bet amongst the will kane show establishment james two a days tinfoil pat like two days what is the current running odds inside the control room on how many what, how many are we gonna do 10 i got 10 schools yeah i got 10 here uh patrick what do you think you go first i think you might get four you actually got pretty close um on the ones that you were talking about on friday so <laughs> but i mean there i mean this is going to be really hard I, when i put this together i'm like four this is this is stupid yes it oh, is stupid really? how okay so four I, i'd set the over under at six and a half Oh, much more faith in me from young James. I have even more. Two days? I have more faith than that. I'm going to say seven. 
I think I'm gonna get seven. Wow! But it's yeah. also two big day, swing. Two days and I are looking at the uh, are looking at the answer key. Pat doesn't have an answer key in front of them, and when you have an answer key, it always kind of looks a little easier That's than true. when you don't know. So we'll see. Oh, maybe five. And All right, half. let's start it. I, I let's go see how many together. I can get. I, I know. All right. All right. Here we yeah. go. Seven, four. How many will I get? Here we go on our college football colorblind quiz. What are you doing? You just showing me a color? Yeah. Oh, this is, Stanford. This is the University Stanford? of Stanford. Okay, well, that's easy. It's also their name. It's Cardinal. Okay. That would be... One for one. <laughs> Correct. One Number for two. one. Here we go. Texas A&M. That's Maroon. I got to get that right. Giga Maggies. Two for two. Two right, for two. Number three. Cool. All right. <laughs> well, I know this one because I got that. I've, I mean, Tinfoil Pat is a fan, and I think he said it numerous times. I don't know if you'd asked me like a couple of months ago what I got it right, but that's Garnet. Let's go, Rye Garnets. Three for three. Three for three. All right, number four. Uh, okay. Ohio State. That should be uh, an easy one. Ohio State. Hmm. Uh, they talk about it all the time. They do? Yep. I'm actually... Uh, I'm debating, is it Crimson? Is it... it just for the listeners here. Red, don't tell viewers. me. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a deep, bright red. A deep... Bright red. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm going crimson. No. Okay. What is it? Wrong answer. It would be what scarlet. Ohio State Buckeyes are scarlet. Of course. Yeah. There you go. You're right. Crimson. They ha- they do say that. All right. Three for four. All right. Number five. Mississippi State. Yep. Uh. Well, they're the same as A and M. I mean, do they call it something different? It's the same damn color. So. Uh, do they call it burgundy? Do they call it? I'm I'm gonna go maroon again. You got it. That oh, Correct. what am I at? Four for five. Yep. All right. Gum. It's All not right. looking good for me. This one's kind of easy. Uh, I just gave it away. Yeah, it's go the on. Crimson Tide, Alabama. So crimson. Yep. There you go. Patrick, why do you think this was hard? Five for six. I'm I'm. This is I'm gonna ace this. I don't thing. I don't know. Get harder what's as we go. All right. <laughs> I know th- I know this one. South Carolina. I was just there. So I, they talked about it. Their colors are garnet and black. That's back to garnet. Ooh. That is. Oh, it's hot. All right. Six for seven. Here we go. Number eight. Well, this is this is the one I got wrong last week. I would not have been able to get USC. Um, I don't know. What, I, what did I say? Crimson last week? I don't know. But I know. No, I said. Yeah, I think that's what I said. It's Cardinal. USC is Cardinal. That's correct. What are we looking at now? Seven for eight? Seven for eight. Oh, Wisconsin. 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 Badgers. What do you got for them? Well, it's identical to Ohio State, but no way they call it Scarlet there, too. Um, Mm. uh, Wisconsin? Why didn't anybody just say red? I know Nebraska's big red. Nebraska will say red. I'm going to just say Wisconsin says the same thing. Red. Just red? red yeah. Just is that the too, color red. Is that too... <laughs> what should, no. Why did anybody do that? Why did anybody just say our color's red? It is That's red. way too generic. What are you talking about? No, it is scarlet. It's scarlet. You had it originally. No. Well, all right, so what am I at? All How right. many are left? All right, last one. So you're seven for nine. Okay. Oklahoma. Got it. You're hitting close to home. That's okay. they're crimson and cream. That's right. Right? Nailed it. I beat everyone's wow. expectations. Eight for ten. Eight for ten. I I was the closest. <laughs> I win at my guess. But you also said there was one or two that you wouldn't have gotten if you didn't do this last week. So maybe a six or seven. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Hey, real quick, um, What's wrong? Why is well, you guys laugh at red? Like you think red is just generic? Like you're not fancy enough if well, you say your color's red? No, that's the whole point of this game is different shades of red. <laughs> so you can't just be red. What are the? But is Nebraska the, the only school that's just like telling the truth? Is We're red. Georgia, just <laughs> I mean, red like, and black. Yeah, they're red and black. They, they yeah, what is Georgia? The, they call themselves the red and black. I think right. Red and black. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So Georgia, Nebraska, out here not being fancy. Everybody well, else is being fancy. My high school used we just we just copy and pasted all the Georgia logos and Georgia jerseys. Oh yeah, we, we called it garnet and black. Like if I'm know. thinking, if you ask me, there's re- if the, it shades of depth. You know how like 
I always give Tennessee fans a hard time. They they wear like hunter orange, right? Mm-hmm. And I say you need to leave your orange out in the sun a little bit, and then you you arrive at brunt, burnt orange. So you're talking about a deeper shade, right? So in, from from least deep to to deep. Tell me if I can get in this right. If you think so, red, then scarlet, then cardinal, then garnet, then maroon. Mm. I think that's all of them. Oh, crimson. Crimson. No, crimson. Crimson, then maroon. Crimson more than garnet. So Oklahoma's more maroon than South Carolina and Florida State. I think. I'd say say crimson's deeper than garnet. Or less deep. Like, I think garnet's deeper. Less deep. Yeah, Yeah. you're right. Like, Florida State's darker than Oklahoma. Yeah, I would say. Also, The reason I thought this would be more difficult for you is because I'm looking at it, at it, putting it together, and all these all these shades of colors are like five different shades, and they all look different. Like if you really sat there and looked at them side by side, the garnet of South Carolina is different than FSU's, and the scarlet, scarlet. of Wisconsin is mm-hmm. different than Ohio State's. So it's, they're different colors, then, is what you're saying? Slightly, they're slightly different <laughs> colors. So, <laughs> I I'm so proud of myself. Yeah. Um. And is I'm, red. I'm by the way, we got to go. Is red the only one that this applies to? There's yellow, like gold versus yellow. That's a hard one. Like USC calls themselves gold, right? Or do they say yellow at USC? I don't even know. I'm not sure. What about Michigan? Um. What's that yellow? Maze. 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 Yeah. There you go. That's easy. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I might, what I'm getting at is we might need to do this with a few other colors, blue, yellow, I'm not sure. All right, that's going to do it for me today here on The Will Kane Show. Be here again tomorrow, 12 o'clock Eastern time, and download us wherever you subscribe to your audio or video entertainment, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, Fox News Podcast. I'll see you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcast and Amazon Prime members. You can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.